You're listening to the Epic All Day Podcast with Jim Simcoe. I'm here to help you make your life epic, so let's get rolling with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Epic All Day Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. We've got a great show today. Really excited to have Jared Little on the podcast today. Jared, how are you? I'm good. Good to uh, to hear from you and, and to be uh, speaking to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for being on the show. So, Jared, I mean, your story is so interesting to me, and I was so excited to get... Um, get your info, you know, in our conversations about having, you know, creating the new modern man and really how does a man start his hero journey? I mean, can you tell a little, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey from being a lacrosse champion in college to a pastor, to, uh, to a stay at home dad? Yeah. So I, uh, uh, well, the, I, I think the important thing to keep, keep in mind about me and my life is the, life as a pastor, a life in ministry, but then also being an athlete, those two things have really gone side by side uh, pretty much since my freshman year of college. So the, the, there wasn't a big trans, transition from playing lacrosse as a, as a full-time athlete and then college into the pastor world. I think the biggest difference was lacrosse paid for, for my college experience Right, and then and then I was doing a ton of ministry on the side, which was incredible. With just working with kids and families in, in college and college students, and um, but then when I I graduated, I, I had a short stint working as a project manager for a, for a for a university and got a lot of business experience and got a lot of that foundation laid. But then when I went to seminary, I had to. How do you pay for seminary? How do you how do you you know, if you're going to go into the ministry, how are you going to do that? There's not a lot of money in it. So how do I pay for seminary, not take on so much debt that's going to cripple my family that I won't be able to do ministry. So I ended up, you know, the transition from college to, uh, you know, real life, having to pay for life. I ended up starting a lacrosse club uh, that went on, you know, it started from private lessons, it went on to clinics and, summer camps. And then I had eight club teams and, um, but it just grew and grew and grew. And that ended up paying for, for my seminary. So it's really interesting when you look at my life, um, other than a four and a four and a half year period, when I went into full-time vocational ministry, lacrosse and ministry have been this partnership, you know, two very different worlds in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah, um, totally. But just, a you know, this kind of, great partnership that uh, lacrosse has been very good to me. The lacrosse community has been good to me as far as just, you know, from a financial standpoint, paying for my, my college education, which was a bachelor's and master's degree, master's in education. And then, and then eventually starting that business that paid for seminary. So, um, yeah, so it, it, it's a, it's a great partnership. So and what did very, you, very, very thankful for it. Yeah, and I don't want to gloss over this because I mean you are you're you are a two time national champion. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's Lacrosse, huge. Yeah, it is. And you know it's funny. So I live in Los Angeles, and and when you're a two time national champion, we'll take take the national championships out of out of the equation. Uh, there's not a lot of guys with the the experience that I have out out here. So I'm kind of a big fish in a in a small pond. You know, the lacrosse yeah. community is not real big anyway, but yeah, it's awesome. I'm very thankful for it. You know, having the opportunity to, to play multiple times on, uh, you know, 
football NFL stadiums, packing them out with sixty to seventy thousand people. You're on ESPN. Um, you, play, you played for Virginia, right? Yeah, University of Virginia. So who did you and, guys beat? What what years? Because I want to give everyone some background. So what years are these? And then what years did you win the national championship? And who'd you beat? Yeah, so I was I was there from 2001 to 2000, uh, 2006, and then we played uh, UMass and beat UMass in 2006, and then in 2003, I'm trying to think of who we played. We, it was, I think we played Hopkins in the national championship. It's funny, you sound like Tom uh, Brady. You sound so, like Tom Brady. You've won so many championships, it's hard to keep them in mind. Like, oh God, who yeah, did we beat that Yeah, guy? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah, it was just an incredible opportunity and I'm just, just thankful for it. And like I said, it's, it's kind of the gift that just keeps on giving it. If I had known when I was a kid that I was going to be able to do the things that I did or could still get to do with the game, uh, I just, you know, I couldn't have, I don't think you could have planned for that. So yeah, that's it was, cool. yeah, I'm loving it. And then, so tell us about what you do now. Yeah. So after seminary, I, uh, I still had my lacrosse business going, and then I was I was doing some interim pastor work for a church. Decided to step down from that role, and then um, just kind of concentrate on lacrosse. About a six month period went by again post seminary, where I was debating on do I go into full time ministry or do I uh, do I keep running my lacrosse business and kind of help out at churches. And I ended up my wife and I decided that it was time to go into full time vocational ministry. So. Ended up going to to Montana as a full time as a full time pastor, and so I did that for wow. the last four and a half years. And um, and what does that mean? So, tell 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 because I actually don't know what that means. So basically, are you a, yes. like a priest serving a church, and you're the, yeah. the main person who you know? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sort I'm sort of a lapsed Catholic. I went to Catholic high school and grew up Catholic, yep. but sort of <laughs> once I got out of college, I have largely I veered from that path. So I, I don't even right. know, like, what is it? What does a minister do? Yeah. So, well, the Catholic church has priests and they also have chaplains, but pretty much once you get in with the Catholic church, mm-hmm. you're in. Um, so that's, obviously you go back to the Reformation because of the Reformation, you have non-denominational churches and then you have denominational churches. So denominational church would be like Methodist, Presbyterian. Okay. Um, and then, so I, and w- I was a pastor at a, as a evangelical Presbyterian church. And so what I did basically was I was hired by this church and, and I was oversaw their family ministry. So I oversaw ministry as an associate pastor to ministry to parents, ministry to teens, ministry to college students and overseeing staff that did the ministry within other pastors that did ministry within student ministries and children's ministry. And wow. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, pastors are, a lot of people see what we do on Sunday with that 30 minute sermon. Right. Exactly. Pastors are actually businessmen. We are counselors. We are uh, writers. We're, you know, thinkers. So there's a lot of different gifts and, and attributes that you need as a, as a pastor. So it's a, it's, it's, it's similar to a CEO of, of being a CEO of a company okay. or an executive at a company, but our emphasis is, um, while we're paying attention to the bottom line, you know, a church has to, has to function financially and be sure. financially healthy to function. Um, but where, where, uh, our emphasis is on, on developing people <clears throat> spiritually, you know, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So, um, 
That's it's cool. A, That's super cool. Yeah, it's neat. It's, it's a whole life perspective to, um, to dealing with people. So. And then can you, can you, you know, so this is interesting because like, you know, I, you know, I mean, I, I played college lacrosse too at a much smaller level at a D3 school. Um, but it's interesting when you start talking about your journey, you know, as a, as a, as a man, I mean, it's, it's mm. really interesting to me that you were playing lacrosse yet you knew ministry really was the path that you wanted to go on and you were doing it at the same time at some level. No, it's, it's true. But you know, to, to even look at that, like how do you end up doing ministry and that passion? When does that awaken? Uh, you know, that for me, that kind of, I knew I was going to be going into the ministry from a young age and oh, you did. Um, where did you, where did I, you I grow did. up? Upstate New York. So it was nice. a little town in Carthage, New York, a town of about three, 4,000 people, wow. tiny town. What, what's amazing about that town though, from a lacrosse perspective, perspective, the high school I went to at different, you know, different times in a 20, 25 year period has uh, been in the top 20 programs in the United States. And wow. we produce some of the best lacrosse players in the world. Um, so, and my coach, my high school coach at this little, little high school, little town, if you were to add up all his rings, he's probably got 10 national championship rings, 10 plus from all wow. his players. That's cool. So, it really is cool. That's super uh, cool. But so all that, again, getting back to the story of how, how do I end up doing both? Uh, you know, my dad, my, so my dad was an army chaplain and he passed away when I was in sixth grade. and I was wanted nothing to do with the ministry. I watched my dad do it. And I saw only thing I saw my dad do was counseling people and preaching and singing music. And I was just like, that's so lame. I want to be like a skydive instructor. I want to do something <laughs> physical. And, uh, but when he passed away, I'll never forget one of my dad's best friends were riding in this limo to the, to his funeral. And his, it, he was the, the army base chaplain. So he was a full bar colonel, fairly high up in the military. Um, and he turns around and he goes, who knows on the youngest three boys, he says, one of you may follow it in your father's footsteps. And I knew at that moment it, that it was like an arrow piercing my heart that this is, I was this kind of call and life that my dad had been doing. It right. was like a call transfer that I felt. So, and I wasn't happy about it. You know, I was, frustrated with it and, and didn't want to do the ministry. And I, I felt like this call to ministry prior to the transformation of the, having experienced the gospel and then having heard the story of who Christ was, I hadn't had that yet, but right. I felt this instant call, this kind of, you know, I think a lot of people at different point, points in their life feel a call to spirituality. Sure. Of course. And, and so it's, you know, it started for me at a young age. I didn't know what it meant. And so I had to search out what that was. Um, but I was also at the same time frustrated with it, which was, you know, part of my story. Like many people was high school kids. I was young and dumb and cocky and all those things. And so sure. I took care of things in the classroom, but I was also, and on the, on the athletic field in multiple sports, but I definitely, you know, because I thought I was going to knew I'd be going into ministry with the frustration of understanding that prior again to the, the spiritual transfer for, for transformation of my heart, I was you know, living the, the varsity blues lifestyle. Sure. So it's no joke. You know, you look at that movie varsity blues, our, our, our janitor of our high school was also the town cop. So oh having, gosh. and then just, yeah, so funny. It's a small town. So anyway, that's, that's kind of how it all started for me. Uh, that, that, that marriage and merger of athletics 
spirituality, Christianity, um, you know, calling, all those things. So. Right, right, right. And then so you were in Montana mm -hmm. doing your first or running your first church, right? You were like running your first or being a minister at your first place. Was that, was that yeah. your first place on yeah. your own? Where it's like, you know, you were, this is the one you yeah. were assigned to. Yeah. So I, well, I wasn't the head pastor. I wasn't the senior pastor. I was the associate pastor. So there's associate and then there's heads. I was underneath the head pastor. Okay. What was uh, that experience like? Yeah. You know, it was good. I, I'm very thankful for the time that I had at the church in Montana. Very thankful for the experience I was able to, to get. I, I was able to do a lot of things. You know, as far as like climbing that ladder and getting the experience you need mm -hmm. at some of the bigger churches that would take a lot longer, I was able to get that experience pretty fast. Um, what did you love most yeah. about ministry? What do you love most about ministry? Oh, people. Transformation of the heart. Seeing people, you know, not just come to, so, so obviously as a Christian, as a pastor, you want, want people to, to understand the gospel and the gospel is the message of Christ and sure. that he came and right, died for you, that whole thing. Um, but to see people flourish in that relationship, so getting an under, becoming healthy again, physically, uh, spiritually, emotionally, and seeing that that person not just becomes healthy um, because of the, again the transformation of the gospel, the transformation of hearing the scriptures and embodying those. Uh, but to see that, to see them learn to do life well with other people, with kids, with spouses, with with parents. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of, you know, not a lot of financial dollars in being a pastor, but there's right. a lot of uh, the spiritual capital that you get that uh, satisfaction by seeing that happen. So, right. but, and, and that is even today you, you ask me, you know, I'm kind of, I don't know, jumping ahead a little bit on some things. I don't know all, all the questions you're going to ask, but be, you look at where I am now with, with, I've left the ministry, which is a whole, that's a whole story in and of itself. As far as vocational ministry, when we left Montana, uh, ministry was, it was hard on my wife and she wanted a season of, um, she wanted to come back to, we were looking at Denver and LA. We landed back in LA because of, we have a great community here. Right. That, that transition back here, I had, I laid down vocational ministry. So doing it as to get paid and, became a stay at home dad. Um, and so started this journey of, of figuring out identity as a father, as a husband, as a professional, um, as a pastor who's, you know, in the eyes of, you know, the world, are you a pastor if you're not in a church right. so making that transition, um, here is just, it, been it's been awesome it's been neat it's been beautiful it's been hard it's been painful um but from from that transition from that world of being in the ministry to now laying that vocational ministry down and starting some businesses getting back into coaching um is just been it's been great so. Well, yeah, and so this is i have to ask you this, these questions because this is this is the part of the story that i think is so fascinating to me it's like and and one one thing that I'm you know really focused on with this podcast is really busting stereotypes and mm -hmm. showing people who are choosing to live life in an epic fashion that doesn't mm -hmm. traditionally fit the mold. So I have a variety of people on, you know, that who who I believe kind of who who exemplify that. And yep. what I'm struck most about by your story again because I played lacrosse and I've run businesses and 
whatever, yep. is that in, here is a guy, you are a guy who was come from an incredibly small town and played lacrosse at literally the highest level you can play it and succeeded at the highest level you can play it um, in terms of winning multiple national championships. That in and of itself is a story, right? So that that's mm-hmm. a story already. I was talking to one of my friends yesterday about you and we were talking about like, well, he won some national championships. Like, well, yeah, geez, you could just talk just about that. Yep. Then you choose to also do that while you're doing ministry and then you choose the path of ministry, which is mm-hmm. also a very unique story. And then while you're doing it in Montana, you're, uh, you make the choice to move and you make the choice to give up ministry and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at that level and become a stay at home dad. I mean, to me, those things, mm-hmm. they require such a level of self-awareness and confidence and belief in yourself because most men wouldn't be able to do that even if they wanted to, right? Like mm-hmm. most men aren't, you know, or, or I, and I'm stereotyping, but I think so many men aren't strong enough to be okay being a stay-at-home dad because societal mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. stereotypes say like, no, you, you know, the guy's got to go out and earn the money and the, if yep. anything, the women stay, you know, the woman stays at home, which is obviously right. complete crap. But right. so I think that that's so interesting that, that, that you've been able to, can, can you talk a little bit about that and your mindset and, mm-hmm. going, and your thought process? You know, you're in Montana, yeah. what was going on in Montana? And where, when did you get to the point where you're like, okay, you know what? I'm just not going to do this and I'm going to go be a stay-at-home dad and let my wife mm-hmm. go work in a high-power job. What, talk about the mindset yeah. and thought, thought process during that time. Yeah. Um, well, first, I don't let my wife go do anything. She goes and does what she wants and I yeah. support her. And I think that's an important thing Yes. just for, as a man and a husband, any, that alone. But, you know, for me... When I stepped down from this past, this gig that I was at, I'd been there four and a half years. I was, had talking to different consulting agencies, um, talking to interviewing with churches and, you know, ultimately I was at a spot where, and I felt like the church, I just needed to get out of it. There were some things that were going on. I was like, I just, you know, you could get that sensing it's time to move on. And so timing to move on meant I was giving up my salary. Right. And, and being in Montana was the first time in years where I only had one income because when I was in California, I had multiple streams of income. Right. Um, so in some ways, well, in some ways, being a stay at home dad was forced upon me Okay. because uh, we couldn't afford the nanny. We couldn't afford um, daycare or anything like that. So, but I knew that going into it and I was okay with it. So that transition, it was hard because I realized you know, we, we, our work is a part of our identity, but we talk about how it shouldn't be all of our identity, right? Your identity, you should be fine with who you are apart from all those things. But the truth is that what you do is part of your identity and because we're created to do things. So for me to step away from that, it, there was a season, it was hard. It was incredibly difficult because I felt like I wasn't providing for my family financially, but the, the flip side of that is that I didn't need to. My wife has a great job. Right. And, um, and she's, she has been the breadwinner in our marriage the entire time. And which from, a, that there's a, there's a whole bunch of different insecurities that come from that as a man, right. because we're trained in our society that we are to be the breadwinners. Right. And like, well, wait a minute, if your wife is a very successful movie producer and you feel called to be a teacher as a man, like, are you a failure because your wife makes more money for you? Not because she's a harder worker or 
because she, she just happens to be in an industry where you make more money. Right. And so processing some of those things was just, uh, um, yeah, it's been hard. It, it, it was hard, but it's also coming down to, well, what does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a dad? And what does it mean to me be, to be a man standalone by myself? Well, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, can I stop you for a second? Because I'd love you to yeah. an, answer the, I would love it if you could answer those questions briefly. What to you, yeah. what does it mean to be a man, a husband and a father? In this day so, and age, what yep, does that mean? Yep. Yeah. So you need to be a provider for your family, but as far as what does that mean for you? Um, if your family, obviously if your family needs finances, you help provide the finances. In my case, I work hard. I bring in money now because I'm doing other things. But I, the last year where I was a stay at home dad, being a provider meant taking care of my wife you know, making sure that she was get healthy relationally, not just with me, but with her kids, with, with our kids, with our, um, with our, our community, with friends, her family. So that was like first most important thing for me. The, the second thing, and she, it's not that she was in some type of emotional crisis or anything. It just ministry was very hard and she needed a season of just deeper attention from me. Right. Um, so taking care of that, I think as a man, you take care of your wife emotionally, spiritually, and physically, um, right? And, and physically is physical means, finances, but also sexually too, right? Sure. Um, and, uh, but also taking care of your kids, knowing your kids, not just having, you know, we had a nanny and all this, and their kids are in, in school and private schools, but actually knowing them as a, I think as a man, you need to know your children and not have someone else raise your kids. Like right. You, you are a man. You need to be a part of that process. And I think one of the things that's really neat about our culture now, we've moved more towards where it's acceptable for the man to be more involved, and not just acceptable, it's expected. Yeah. Uh, and whereas, before, you know, you go back to the '50s and '60s, even my parents' generation, when I was young, my parents were 19. My mom was 19 when she got married. My dad was gone. He would work. He was till five, six o'clock at night. And, you know, so gone a lot, not necessarily right. around the house a ton until not the night. So I think today as a man, you prepare to care, care for your wife, you care for your kids, you know, your wife, you know, your kids. Um, and then also you pursue your, your, your vocational callings as far as doing what you need to do to make money. If, if you're in a position where you can do that. Um, and, um, yeah, but I'd say here's what I think is important. When you are a man, you are there. There, it's not cookie cutter what that looks like. Right. Because if my wife didn't have a great job, if she didn't make the money she'd make, I would be put in a position where, okay, I need to provide for my family at a greater level. Right. Right. I need. I need to be the breadwinner because she's not working or she can't work or whatever it is. So I, I don't think I, as a man, it's, it's a cookie cutty cutter answer. Yeah. Uh, the, the biggest thing is, are you providing? And if the answer to that is yes, then uh, providing in the sense of whatever it is that your family needs, you are being a man. Yeah. And that's interesting. And that, carry yourself in the process. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point too, I think, because <clears throat> so many people get stuck on providing and they think of providing as only being monetary. Um, I mm -hmm. had, I had, um, 
Ryan Mishler from Order of Man on, I don't know, you know, in a, in a previous episode several months ago. And he was great. And he, we kind of talked about the same thing about how, like, when, you know, a true man takes care of his family, whatever that, whatever that means. It's not just yep. monetary. It's also emotionally, yep. spiritually, sexually with his wife and, you know, every, everything, every aspect of it. So it becomes a more holistic approach to being yep. a man as opposed to like your explain, you know, your, your example of back in the fifties um, when it was primarily just monetary. I mean, you watch Mad Men, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time and yeah. you know, the guys come home, they have like a double scotch and yep. they have a steak dinner and they, you know, they pat the kids on their head and then they go read the newspaper. The mm -hmm. Kids go to bed and they see their kids for, you know, a couple hours. Um, yeah. I, ha I have friends like that. I know, oh, not the double scotch part, but I know friends who, you know, they well, I'll have a double, double scotch, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't, I don't, I, I would love to, I would love to say that I could drink a double scotch, but I would end up in the hospital. I'm more your pina colada guy. My wife, when she used to drink, she was the one who would drink scotch. It was really, in some ways, somewhat embarrassing when we would go out because they would put the scotch in front of me and put the pina colada in front of her. And I'd be like, no, I'm the one with the drink at the, with the umbrella. Hey, see, stereotyping, it happens everywhere. Yeah, no, right. It's ridiculous. I'm a victim of drink stereotyping. But it's go. interesting. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's all right. Don't worry about it. So it's interesting back in those days because, uh, and like I was saying, like, you know, and I, so I have, I know people who do that now and then they go and they'll play, mm. you know, they'll go on a Saturday and they'll play golf or they'll play tennis for several mm. hours. And I'm like, dude, like, when are you going to see your daughters? Like you've yeah. got small daughters, like you need yeah. to see them. And they really feel that, you know, because they make a decent amount of money that that's really the end all be all answer. And in yeah. so many ways yeah. it's not. So it's refreshing to hear what kind of what you're saying, where it's like, it's really not cookie cutter. And, mm -hmm. you know, but the, but the biggest element is are you taking care of your family? And that, yep. that to me is really kind of, it starts there with whatever your family needs. It, it starts there. Um, okay. So what lessons can you give? And I know you've, you know, you've been in ministry, you've worked with a, a lot of people, but what lessons can mm -hmm. you give other men who really aren't sure, you know, where they are in their journey or in their process and they're trying to find their way? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest thing is surrounding yourself with good people and being vulnerable about the insecurities that you have. And I, as men, that's hard. Um, and one of my wife's best, best, best friends, when I was struggling, we just moved, it was within a month or two of moving back to Los Angeles. And, um, I had a couple churches near us that were, I want, uh, that I was interviewing with. And then there was another one that a great opportunity but I just was like, I don't think Chanel would want to, we'd have to move, you know, 15 miles from where we are right now. Anyway, so she, her friend said, uh, she's like, Jared, she's like, she goes, if you think you need to give up ministry and to pursue these business things that you want to do, and um, you, you need to acknowledge that you, you're not just letting it go, that you are, it's going to, it's going to feel like a death. Right. The, the, vocational ministry. Um, even though I didn't realize now that I'm a year into this, what I'm doing now is way, way better than vocational ministry. My sphere of influence that I have with people is, uh, it's much larger and more effective because of what I'm doing now. But I had to hear, you need to let that dream, that part of you, that, that part of you die. Mm -hmm. and so that you can 
rebirth, right? And that's kind of a gospel message. Without death, you don't have a resurrection. Right. And and so I needed to let this part part of my life that was really holding me back. Um, I had to let that go, and it may come back. I may be a pastor again years down the road. I had to let that go so that I could move on. Um, and so I get back, tell that story to say I have really great friends that I can share vulnerabilities and insecurities and points of my marriage that, you know, I love my wife all the time, but I don't like her right now. And I don't like this and having people speak into those things. And, and, and as men having, having your boys that you can have pina coladas with, right? Pina coladas with the boys and, and having those guys that, that can speak truth into that. Um, and, and, and being vulnerable with those, those insecurities. So, uh, and I think it's the hardest thing, but that's, again, I, I, I think that it's hard for men, harder for men to do that. Oh my God. I think Just, men are becoming better at it because again, our society is saying, giving permission more so to men to explore, explore who they are and to talk about frustration. Yeah. Just um, even, even when you say the word being vulnerable, like I, and, and you know, I'm, I'm coaching and speaking on this stuff, even my stomach tightens. I'm just like, Oh yeah. God. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah, it's hard tough. and it's terrifying. And it's, and not only that, it's offensive. And because if you're vulnerable with someone and your vulnerability is, is exposing something about yourself that, you know, you need to change, but you don't know how to change it because you need someone, you need community and friends to say, bro, knock that off. Right. Um, it's offensive to do that. And so you also, not only is it vulnerable, but you're opening, opening yourself up to be offended to have someone else do heart surgery on you. Right. Um, so, and then the other part of it too, is just, you know, you got to find time for yourself. I think to, to, to reflect, to, to pray, to listen to music, to, um, you know, to go to the bars with your buddies and, and not necessarily have it be super intense to still enjoy life in the midst of the season of, 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 um, you know, when you know you're in a season of transition. Yeah. I think that's key. I think that that's something that, um, I feel like I've made that change a few years ago and, and, and because I've made that change, I think I've been healthier in the sense that, Mm -hmm. and again, I'm not perfect at it. I'm probably not even really quite honestly that good at it, but I'm better in the sense of like making time for myself and, Mm -hmm. and doing things like going to CrossFit or going surfing yep, yep. or playing football, even though like it's a hassle on the schedule. And sometimes my wife might get mad if I'm playing football on a Sunday. It's one of those things where it's like, you know what, it's an hour and you know, mm-hmm. it's two hours and it, it it's going to fill my soul for a week because when I get out on the football field or when I'm in the gym, no yep. one's really asking me about, you know, how like a lot of my stresses from the day are, are, they're not gone, but they're temporarily put on hold and I can take a deep breath. I can throw some weight around, listen to some, you know, really loud music. And no one's asking me the deep questions about like, okay, so emotionally, Jim, how are you doing today? No, no. You know, they're just like, Hey man, we're doing squat cleans. So you want to share a bar? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and it's one of those things where, so there's community and there's camaraderie there, Yep. which is kind of where I am. I've got other, you know, I know other people who, you know, for them to, when they make time for themselves, it's for them, it's all about getting in the mountains and going right. hiking with their dog and not talking yep. to somebody for three days. Like personally, right. that's like a prison sentence for me. I mean, I talk to everybody, yep. 
So for me to go somewhere and not talk for three days would be absolutely the worst thing. So I, I like being around people. That's how I get my release. So, and I think that that's important. I think as, you know, as you're, um, for men starting their journey is in, or wherever you are on your journey is that you have to be able to take time for yourself and, and make time for yourself because it's as important as whatever else you're doing. Absolutely. No, nobody else is, is going to fight for you. Um, in the sense of, your wife is always going to want a house, house clean. Your kids are always going to need, you know, their butts wiped. You're, and if you don't set that, this is my hour. Well, I need you, honey. I need you to do this. I, I need our works. Like if you got to be able to fight for that hour and don't let anything come in the way. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, that's so that's so true. Like, yeah, you're so, right. Like no one's going to fight for you. No one's um, going to do it. No, they will, they will suck you dry. Yeah. And with uh, all the love, and affection and sure. best intent, they will, they will t- take everything from you. And, uh, and not, in a, not in a bad way. It's just, if you're going to have massive output, be it, you know, philosophical conversations, theological conversations, uh, work, going, making the money, you know, eating what you kill and just massive right. output people, your spouse, everyone just, just, taken from you, you got to have massive input and you got to fight for that time. If that massive input, you know, is reading, if time by yourself reading, if it's the weight room, if it's surfing, yeah, you, you got to get that input. Yeah. It's got to so, be equal. If it's not equal, you're, yep. you're sort of screwed. Um, what, let me ask you this question. So I only have a couple more questions for you. What, um, mm-hmm. what role, if any, does meditation or visualization play in your world? Yeah. Uh, so I try I try. Okay. So I, that's a strong, I try to, to read every day or I try and give an hour of, of reading and a prayer meditation every day. So, it, and I have a pattern. What I try to do is I'll get up in the morning. So I get up around anywhere from four to five in the morning. And part of that is, is because I have a team in India building a website for me. Um, so I'm forced to get up to do some stuff with them, but I get up early. I take about five minutes, 10 minutes. I listen to music. And then after listening to kind of prepare myself, my mind, wake up a little bit from music. I go on to reading a book on leadership, a, uh, a book on a fun book, a book on, um, you know, like, what are you reading now? Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. um, Harry Potter. So, I mean, whatever, just something to get going. Just so you start, you get before I was, I, I think you need, I, for me, I like to warm up my mind with, with things, um, that are fun, where educational, um, and, uh, just, just to kind of get my mind going and thinking about other things so I can get ideas about, um, about stuff. So, um, so for instance, I'm reading the gold standard right now on, um, or not the the book that by the um, um, the new gold standard for the oh what's the hotel the for the for here it is right here by Joseph Joseph Michelli the new the new gold standard five leadership principles for creating a legendary customer experience huh, cool. um, and yeah so it's with me having coaching and my my lacrosse business now and then I'm off building this massive church staffing website where I'm doing a lot of consulting with churches nationally. And eventually hopefully we hope to get to internationally. I'm reading this book on 
well, what does customer service look look like? If you're going to do leadership, how do you lead employees? And um, so I'll read that and do some jot down some some notes on some things that that I need to ex- either ex- start executing now or start executing preparing to execute in the future. Right. From there, I then move on to I t- try to read uh, the Bible for you know twenty to thirty minutes, and then I'll do some just some prayer for another you know anywhere from a minute and a half to 20, 30 minutes, just to wow. kind of depend. But the point is, 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 um, again, because of the kind of the world I live in with coaching, but then also like lacrosse coaching and dealing with people. And then this ministry side, like I'm preaching at a church and, and, and about a month, I, I have a lot of output. So I make sure I get this input right uh, almost every day. It's so, interesting. So you do it, long for, you do it first thing in the morning. I do. Yeah, I do. And if I get interrupted, I try and do it throughout the day sporadically, but I don't, it's never as effective. Yeah. 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 I find that, I find that for me, it, it, you know, and I don't, and I don't do that. I don't do it that way, but I might try it that way. I find for yeah. me, I read at the end of the night or I'll read sporadically during the day, but I do find that I get up way earlier than everyone else in my house. So I'm up, you know, today mm-hmm. I woke up at four forty-five. Yeah. Um, but you know, most days it's, it's probably closer to, five thirty or six and and all three of my girl you know my my two girls and my wife are sleep in a little bit later so mm-hmm. there's a good hour <clears throat> in there that i'm always trying mm-hmm. to be very quiet so that they can sleep and and yeah. and and i'm just always like i you know like i do the dumb stuff i you know check email and mm-hmm. you know look at the schedule for the day and i'll get immersed in email or i'll go on uh a report and and uh sportsillustrated.com to see how the Patriots yeah. are doing, see what's going on in the world of sports. But it's kind of like, I'm not really using that time super effectively, I don't find. Um, yeah. And so that's not a bad idea to read first. I actually never really thought about reading as soon as you get up. Yeah. It, so I had a, a mentor pastor tell me once that it was, a, and it's been something I've kind of, I've just stuck to. And he told me to read, trying the hard Super hard, but most beneficial reading that you can do. Try and just do ten pages a day. Ten pages a day. Uh, ten pages a day, and um, so if it's really good reading, right, it's easy to go beyond ten pages. Right. Um, but if it's if it's for me, philosophy, theology, uh, you know, a, a more in depth leadership book, um, I will. I'll just get to my ten. And then I'll move on to something a little easier to read or I'll listen to music. Uh, but that was, that, that's that been really helpful to, to me because I, I think when we break it down to something small like that, right. you, you, you know, I can say I read for 20 minutes or I read for 30 minutes, but was it two pages because it was really complex or was it a hundred pages because it was super easy? Like, what right. does that mean? You read 20, 20 minutes. Right. Um, right. Totally. So that, that's something that's been really beneficial to me is just, hmm. Whatever is the most complex, beneficial reading for you, do it first thing in the morning. Try and get 10 pages done. Yeah, I like uh, that. I like that. That's awesome. All right. So, um, well, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. This has been great. I really, really appreciate it. Tell me, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can uh, find me at uh, on Twitter account, and which I'm not super. I haven't been on it a ton the last uh, year or so, but um my my username is uh, let's see here. And if you want to email to me, what I'll do is I'll put no, no, I'll get it, I'll get you all that. But you can Jared at you can also get get a hold of me Jared at Keenan if anyone wants to 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 
email me. It's again, it's Jared at kingdomcandidates.com. I'm okay. launching a massive church staffing website, which is going live next week. And it's going to transform the, we hope we believe and think that it's going to transform the church staffing world. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, I highly, and we should get do another one of these a couple months from now where I can talk about that. And that's yeah, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love to. Um, um, all right, then I'll put all the, I'll put all your stuff in the show notes so people can get to it. And, and man, thank you so much for being on. I mean, this has been, this has been really enlightening. It's just super cool to see somebody who is following their path and is unabashedly uh, committed to it and is re is really, really redefining the role of the new modern man. It's, it's, you're really, you're just, you're really serving as a great example for other men. So as, as a, as a guy, I appreciate it personally. Um, it's given me inspiration and, and, uh, mm. it's just really cool, man. It's really cool. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yeah, you got it. Okay, guys, thank you so much for checking out the show. Um, I'll have Jared's information in the show notes and I will talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for checking out the show today. For show notes, event updates, and tons of other free stuff, check out epicalday.com. And if you would, I would love it if you were able to leave a review on iTunes as this really helps other people find our show. Thanks a ton. I appreciate you listening and I'll talk to you soon.